Welcome to Wild Quincy, a podcast that looks into the little-known and forgotten past of Quincy, Illinois. From classic rock to country, the Gym City is full of radio stations for every music taste. But there's one station that stood above the rest. Could we in fact call it the greatest radio station of all time? That coming up next here on Wild Quincy. Now, here's your host, Chris Ketters and Travis Hoffman. Welcome back to season two of Wild Quincy. Travis, are you excited for this new season? I am ready to roll. We've got the cobwebs out of the corners. We've got the dust all taken care of. We're ready to roll. Bright new, shiny season two coming at you. That's right. We we, we bought the, the industrial strength pledge, and <laughs> so we've done all the dusting, and it's all cleaned up. We want to thank Bo Beecraft, as you heard at the beginning of this, doing our opening liner and doing the opening little sounder for us. We really appreciate that golden voice. Man, Oof. if you need some sound work done, that guy has just got the pipes, man. Not only a golden voice, but just a golden, a golden boy all around. That sounds a little strange, but when you have barbecue with a man in Minnesota, you get to know him pretty well, from my experience. <laughs> Thanks again, Bo. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Bo. And uh, speaking of new things we got going on, you might have heard at the end of season one during our season review, we're doing something for this season. Obviously, we had such cool liners, return liners that uh, you guys submitted to us. What's that number, Travis? 612-666-9453. 612-666-9453. If you like the, if you like the alphabet version, that's wild. 666-WILD. Wild. That's right. So uh, what we're looking for is return liners again for the season, but we're giving away that free t-shirt. So if you are picked out and uh, your return liner is used this season, you will be eligible to win that t-shirt. So just head to that number and uh, give us return liner. Give us something memorable. That's that's the, where the bar is at. It doesn't have to be the funniest necessarily, but it has to be memorable. Maybe it's funny. It's up to you. We'll see. Give us something to talk about. So uh, give us a chance to do that and give us some of those return liners. And uh, I know we talk about it a lot, but but we got to mention again a Patreon. You can always check out that stuff. And Travis, we have a new Patreon member. We sure do. Chris Earhart, thank you so much for joining at the Medium Jeff special level. We definitely appreciate your support and we hope you enjoy all the lovely bonus content, which everyone can be a part of. You just jump over to wildquincy.com and they'll get you over to become a wild thing on our Patreon side. Actually, go to Wild Quincy for everything. We've uh, been reamping our website a little bit. So, pretty much, that's a one stop shop. You head to the homepage and you can do pretty much everything you can or want to do on that homepage. Again, check that out at wildquincy.com. Travis, we are eager and excited to get into this episode. Before we do that, we got to get into the question of the day. Are you ready for this one? I am ready. Bring it Bring it to me. Bring it on. What do you got? Who is the largest employer in Quincy? I'm going to give you choices. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. All right. Who's the largest employer in Quincy? Is it Blessing Hospital, Napied Manufacturing, the Quincy Public School District, or Blue Cross Blue Shield? So again, the question is, who is the biggest and largest employer in Quincy? Is it Blessing, Napied, the Quincy Public School District, or Blue Cross Blue Shield? That is your question. Okay, I will sit on that and think about it. We'll have that question or the answer for that question coming up for you at the end of this episode. But we're really excited because we're going to bring in somebody that I've worked with for many years. Uh, he has been in the media world, in the Quincy world for many years, almost coming up on 40 years, actually. Wow. And we're going to be talking with Rich Kane, who is the KHQA chief meteorologist. We're going to be talking about the greatest, the greatest 
radio station of all time. And that's coming up next here on Wild Quincy. Here's what you missed on the latest After Hours episode of Wild Quincy. When asked to the appropriate speed of the object, approximate speed of the object, Young Mental said, I really couldn't tell you because I'm only 11 years old, <laughs> but it was about this, about as fast as a jet moving at a pretty good speed. That is hilarious. That's pretty funny. That's pretty funny. <laughs> the kid's like, I, do you know I'm 11? <laughs> I had to get help dialing this phone number. Yeah. Our After Hours episodes are available exclusively for Patreon members by going to patreon.com slash wildquincy. For just a couple dollars a month, not only will you double the amount of Wild Quincy episodes at your fingertips, but you'll also be supporting our efforts as we continue to dive into the wild and crazy history of our favorite town. Also, as a Patreon member, you can take part in our live events and Patreon-only outings, as well as having access to our regular episodes two days before they are released to the public. It's easy. Just head to patreon.com slash wildquincy. That's patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash wildquincy and become a wild thing today. This is Liz. And Amanda. And, and you're you- listening to <laughs> Wild Quincy. Ow! Now back to Travis and Chris. Stay wild. Back here on Wild Quincy, we're joined by a good friend of mine and a longtime fellow weather enthusiast, Rich Kane from KHQA. Rich, how are you doing? I'm doing fine, Chris. How are you? Oh, not too bad. You know, we could talk all day about weather, but we won't on this episode. (laughs) Yeah, we could. Because we're going to... We could, yeah, but we're going to talk about something uh, of something that you're very familiar with and something Travis and I uh, loved uh, back in the day, and it's definitely back in the day because we are talking about what we refer to as the greatest radio station of all time in Quincy, and that would be 99Q. And Rich, you had a part in that days in 99Q. Tell us about that. Well, 99Q started two years before I arrived on the scene. Uh, it was April... Uh, 1985, 99Q was a beautiful music station. They aired the Metropolitan Opera on Saturday. And the beautiful music, I mean, we're talking elevator music, background music. Retail stores would have the radio station on in the background. So Lee Enterprises at the time, who owned the radio station operation, both uh, 99Q, well, it was WCY, uh, and WTAD AM, uh, they decided, well, it took a, a, a little bit of pushing, I think, on behalf of uh, the operations manager, it was Hank Mayhall, to gather a group, change the format to contemporary radio. So they hired a guy by the name of David P. Norman, Elizabeth Lukowski, she was known as the Polish princess, she <laughs> evenings. Jeff Dorsey, I believe, was already on board. Reggie Coleman was already doing TV work anyway and work on WTAD radio. Um, and Dennis Oliver. They pulled Dennis away from KQ 102, I, I believe that's correct, to line up the new 99Q form. So their first song that they played was Born in the USA by Bruce Springsteen. Now, can you imagine <laughs> you're listening to the radio and no, you're expecting Richard Heyman and his orchestra to wake you up in the morning. <laughs> but no, you hear Born in the USA, I would. 
you know, right. and the, and the phones, I guess, went crazy according to the stories that were <laughs> And uh, the receptionist at the time, uh, Brenda Mallory, who's who's working at KHQA, uh, receptionist now, um, had to field all the phone calls, all those complaints. There were mostly complaints. A lot of them were high praise, but there were more complaints than there were high praise. Uh oh. Yeah. Back in April of 1985. That's the start of 99Q. My entry came about two years later. I was interviewing with the general manager at the time. His name was uh, David Wellborn. Lee Enterprise sold the radio operation shortly after the format change. I think it was January of 1987. Eastern Broadcasting bought the radio division because Lee Enterprise is wanted out of radio. They eventually got out of TV and focused all their business on newsprint. So Eastern Broadcasting, as per FCC rules, had to separate the radio station from the TV operation because they were all sharing facilities. Studios and people were all on the 10th floor. Administration was down on the 6th floor at the WCU building. David Wellborn was installed as general manager to separate the radio stations. Well, David Norman did not like David Wellborn. David Wellborn didn't like David Norman. <laughs> so David quit. So the general manager needed somebody to fill that position. Long story short, Vernon Dorsey, who was married to Jeff at the time, knew a friend who operated a record store in Quincy, Wan Yinger, who worked part-time at my old radio station in Moberly, where I was at KRES. Who we come together, put an audition tape together, Gilberta gives it to Jeff. Jeff gives it to Miss Wellborn, and Mr. Wellborn calls me up in early April of 1987. He says, you have some time to come talk? I'd like to talk to you about uh, the position. Sure. About four hours later, I emerge from the WC building completely overwhelmed. <laughs> it's not only the offer given to me after those short four hours, but then I had major life change decisions to make, career change, etc. So I thought about it. Well, fast forward, early June of 1987, I walked out of KRES Studios, Auburn, Missouri, and came to Quincy, Illinois. To accept the job wow. is not only being a DJ, had not an IQ to be operations manager. Wow. Well, there's a lot to unpack from that, Rich. I guess the first thing that kind of hits me on the top of the head is that you've had, you're coming up on what, like 40 years that you've been in the Quincy market now? Well, <laughs> you're embellishing a little. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's actually been more, I moved in 87, so it's been 35? Yeah. 36? You're you're getting there. <laughs> <laughs> Who's counting anyway? So. <laughs> well, that's pretty awesome. I mean, uh, especially with some of the names that you just mentioned of people that have been in the media market in Quincy. You mentioned Jeff Dorsey and, and all those different characters and, and media sensations back in the day and, and even right. in today's world. It makes you wonder, though, if things didn't work out the way you bid, what, did you see your path the way it has gone? No. Or would, did you have inspirations of this is where I was going to go? I, I had the inspirations of creating and sculpting what I had in my head. I grew up in the shadow of New York City for a while. Oh, okay. WABC was the number one station in the country. It was an A station, but at the time, AM was extremely popular back in the 1960s, 1970s. 
So it was like, what can I do in my radio career, make a radio station sound just like that? 99, we had this very unique audio chain where it came out of the studio and went through some fancy audio processing, put headphones on, and the experience was just incredible. The spatial effect, the depth of stereo, even though we weren't digital yet, that was yet to come. It was just a sonic experience. And it was just exactly like what WABC was. As far as the listening enjoyment, there was a little echo chamber, which very typical of top 40 radio stations back then. So it was like, how can I capitalize on this? Well, that is build the DJ energy. Rock over the intros of song. Engage your listener. Give them a reason to stay tuned in. What was the landscape of when you guys switched over to the new format? What were you guys going up against on the local radial dial? Uh, in Canton, Missouri, there was KQ 102. A guy by the name of Bob Devereaux was pretty much the, the, the big guy up there. Another guy by the name of Greg Hobrick was also at KQ 102. There were several others at KGRC, which was top 40 at the time. Mm. So Hank Mayhall was able to tap into what he thought were the best people. And eventually, Greg Hopper came over. Right. Dennis Oliver came over. Liz Lukowski came over. And eventually, Barry Griffith, who I hired from KGRC. So it was kind of a domino effect. Yeah, absolutely. It's a who's who of the media landscape right there. There were three top three hit radio stations at the time. One of the things, especially in the early 2000s and in the 90s, you had a rating system. That's Arbitron, right, for, yeah. for radio? Well, there were two. There was um, one, it was called Birch. That was the phone call. What radio station are you listening to? And they would do it at various <laughs> times of the day. Oh, wow. They didn't care who picked up the phone. <laughs> have an eight-year-old pick up the phone. What radio station are you listening to? <laughs> okay, thank you. Uh, and then Arbitron, that would send you a diary. And if you were honest about it, you make down your listening patterns and then mail it back. So talk to us about, was that still a play in your, in the late eighties when, when you took over as operations manager, was that something you guys kept an eye on? Was that something that was done? Yeah. Well, not really, because if you wanted the art on ratings, you had to buy the book. Oh, oh sure, right. Sure. <laughs> Good sales pitch. Yeah. 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 And not, you know, it was, um, once he had a Bohia cook, I believe was the market. And back then, if, I, I think it was market 151. Now, now we're like market uh, one seventy two, market one seventy three. Really? Huh? It's all based on population. Wow. It's all based right. on population shift. So I'm guessing that it kind of leaned into that question. It really wasn't an idea of you guys weren't really looking at the ratings, but you know, from a perspective of of Travis and I growing up in that time frame, it was like, holy cow, this station, this station's the station to listen to. <laughs> was I mean, did you kind of feel that mindset too? Yeah, because we didn't care about ratings because we thought we were number one anyway. So if you leave them back, right? You right. acted like it, you know. What was the time span be- before all those initial phone calls that were expecting, you know, Herb Albert and the Tijuana Brass uh, and, and Bruce Springsteen starts coming on the radio? What was the was there a bell curve there of the complaints to the people that were calling in with kind of a general sense of approval of this new format? How'd that journey end up going? I wasn't around at the time, Travis, but. From what I've heard, eventually it went away. Right. And there was a request line in the studio. 
uh, I think it was two two three zero nine nine zero. Prank calls coming. Yeah, right. <laughs> you never forget a good phone number, right? Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's like right. time and temperature. Oh, that's right. Two 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 seven seven seven. Is that right? Two seven 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 seven. Oh, look at that. Is that See? still going? Wow. Is it still going? We'll give it a shot I don't later. No, we can try now. Ninety nine Q for me. Uh, growing up. My grandparents had a swimming pool. We were just outside of Little Adams, the town with a bar and a ball field and a dream. And they had a pool, and all my cousins were, were girls, and they were all about eight, nine years older than me. But there was a little black, probably GE radio that was always out there poolside, and that was like the glue of their social lives was 99Q. And it was always, you know, calling in you know, and, and me being much younger and, and formidable, you know, at that stage. It's, <laughs> it's like that's the echelon of, of anything. And that was so ingrained in my own. And I'm sure Chris can testify to that, too, that, boy, that was the epicenter of everything that was cool was coming out of that, you know, that radio on 99Q. It was insane. Somebody called wow. me uh, on the air one day and said, I, I bet you look like Dick Clark. I said, far <laughs> of it. I don't think so. Wow. Uh, so one of the things I was kind of curious about, especially with your time frame of when you were there, because it was you were in this weird transition period. And again, this is before my radio days, but you weren't using records, in, but you weren't in the CD world yet. So how were you guys getting your music put on the airways back then? There were a number of programmers that were available to commercial broadcast radio stations. Uh, one was Cast Programming. They were based out of Seattle. Uh, Century One, which is what we had, that was based out of Dallas, Texas. And there were there were a couple of others. Uh, Music Works out of Nashville. They had basic formats. They had a number of flavors that you could choose from as far as service. Century Twenty One had an easy listening service. Uh, CHR, Z format, which is what we had. Uh, we had two different types of Z formats. And they had like a, a the best years of our lives format. And these were all on big 10-inch reel tapes. Okay. Oh, so wow. Tapes. Okay. And we had four tape machines. Say, for example, Liz Lukowski, who came on board at 7 p.m. We would change the tapes from all the, the Z format to the Super E format. Super Z was a little more hard-hitting, heavy metal, rock and roll. You wouldn't hear Tiffany or Debbie Gibson, for right, example. Right, right. <laughs> that was that was all for the the Z format during the day. So you would transition out these reels of tape. You'd have two currents, a recurrent, uh, and an old reel. So oh. you had four reels in rotation: go current, recurrent, current. Our gold, current, recurrent. Yeah. So there was a variety. Were those songs, in, they were in order then, right? They were all in sequential order on the tape, but it never would seem the same because of one reel may end up finishing. You'd put another reel on while the other reels would finish out. You'd put another reel on. So there's no reels at time change the reels other than that's the last song. And then you had to change it up. So really, from that perspective and using that type of format, the concept of somebody calling and requesting a song is not really working in that scenario, right? Well, it, it, in the case of currents, like you know, popular bands, there was there was a good chance that it would be coming up. Because keep in mind, you had 
two reels of tape, one on one and another one on another deck. So there was a chance that maybe you could get that hit song another hour and a half, two hours later. Mm. You know, you just tell the gotcha. listener, we got it coming up for you. Stick around. <laughs> not lying. Not lying. Yeah. No, we, no, we didn't like. It just may take a while to play Generalities it, are the key to that. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> And eventually it would. Well, you mentioned some of the staff, and that's something I want to get get into with you. And one of the people, again, this is Travis and I's heyday. We were <laughs> huge fans of D. Mason. Right. I don't know if you remember remember oh, yeah. D. Mason being on there. Uh, tell you mentioned Dorsey and some of those others. Give us give us an idea of uh, you know a standard layout was a morning show and who was running, you know, what time formats and where they were at during the day. Well, at, at the time we signed on at six a.m. And we signed off at midnight. Okay. We were 24 hours yet. So huh. Dennis Upper would do the sign-on. He would take it up to 10 o'clock. Greg Hobrick, or he went on the as Gregory to take over the, the 10 to 2. Or Reggie, uh, I think at the time maybe Reggie was doing the 10 to 2. Then I did the 2 to 7. And then Liz Lukowski would take it back up to midnight. Dennis and Jeff just kind of came together uh, for a little bit right around 7.30. That's when they had their, uh, what I call their little co-op time. Right. They'd tell jokes or <laughs> interact with each other. Jeff would leave WTAD while the news was on and he'd go across the hall to the uh, FM studio. And so that's that's how that relationship really got off. That was a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, that, that all did change, you know, when people Liz Lukowski, for example, um, left to go to Nashville. No, I think it was Memphis to do traffic reports. That's when that's when she roomed up with Joe Walsh. Oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. <laughs> Spilling some tea. Spilling some tea. That, that's as far as I go with that. Uh, so I, I had to fill Liz's position. And so we had a part-timer by the name of PT. His name was Will Thomas. Oh, sure. So I also sure. hired oh, away yeah. from KGRC, got him trained up, and he did the evenings after Liz left. So, wow, you and you kept you keep saying this. What was the – was there a – and hopefully it's not digging too deep in, in here, but what was the pull to get all these talented people to come over to, to 99Q? I mean, was it a financial gain, or was there something, something more there? I, I think there was some financial gain, again – Eastern Broadcasting at the time owned radio stations in uh, State College, Pennsylvania. Hershey, Elizabeth found AMFM combo there. They also had one uh, in Allentown, Easton. And then there was an AMFM combo, I think, in New Haven, Connecticut. So, yeah, there was there was pretty good money there. Yeah. Oh, so that helped. Until, <laughs> until Eastern sold, and that's that's a whole other story. Was the fact that it was kind of, I would, and this is my own view, being a young, youngin at the time. I mean, I would imagine there's sort of sort of a magnetic pull to having such a popular radio station, where maybe it's going to be more fun. I think if you if you're going to be on the air, why not be on the station that's making the waves? Right, and I I think technically at the time it was easy to to be an on air personality because you had time to think about what you're going to say for your next set. You could interact with listeners and maybe hit the recorder and record that conversation and play it back going to the next song. So I, I think there was, we had a good atmosphere. 
or at least that's what I tried to create. <laughs> sure. sure. Um, and yeah, give them a little extra money, maybe what they were earning before, and just have a good time. You ended up moving on eventually, and you made the move over to Hampshire Street, correct? Yes, I did. That happened in, uh, I, I would started doing some talking. This is after we moved. We physically moved to the fourth floor, finally. After a little change of management top, we got this spot. We had to wire it. We had to design it. Then they went to abandon the reel-to-reel music system and go with compacts. Right? Right. So Century 21, who we were subscribed to anyway, kept pushing the CD library on us. So they went ahead and bought a CD library. They bought two Technique SLP 1200 CD players. Keep in mind, these were manually ran. There was no automation system because they did not want to instant an automation system. Right, right. So they decided we're going to go 24 hours. We're going to keep it manned 24 hours. (laughs) Well, we were taking our own transmitter readings at the time. We had to manually write that down because the TV engineers used to do it for us. So now that we're physically separated, we don't have any affiliation with KHQA. Up on the 10th floor, we're down on the 4th floor. So we have to have the bodies there 24-7. Jeez. So wow. we eventually hired some extra people, one of which he's still in radio. His name is Bobby G. And we still stay in touch. And uh, he was doing the overnights. How rough was that as of a gig in the overnight hours? Doing the overnights? Yeah. I think he had a blast. Oh, is that right? Okay. <laughs> okay. Had, I had it wrong. He had quite a following. It was uh, it was a nocturnal following. And Bobby <laughs> G, there, there were a couple of things that I didn't like what he did. There were a couple of times I had to get him about uh, because it got back to me. And it's like. <laughs> Somebody was listening, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. But he turned. He's a great DJ, and he loves doing what he's doing. And he's battled a couple of health problems, but I mean, he's still with us, and he's, That's he's great. loving it. So we moved to the fourth floor. Eastern Broadcasting decides to sell the business now. And, and to answer Chris's question, radio stations were becoming a commodity at that time. You don't care who owns you; you're bought and sold like a piece of paper. Right. You know, with with money backing it. So, not an IQ, WTAD were they were bought out by TMZ, bunch of guys from State College, Pennsylvania, Hudek, Doc, uh, and Zimmerman. Oh wow! They used to run cable TV outfits and whatever throughout Pennsylvania, so they decided to go into broadcasting. Good long term friends with the the previous owner. Roger Newhoff, who owned Eastern Broadcasting. So Roger says to TMZ, the new owners come in and we have the meeting in the conference room on the fourth floor. And Robert Zimmerman leaned back in one of the chairs and he's twiddling some and he's staring, not at me, but staring through me. Right. You know, that's a great feeling. Yeah. (laughs) And I said, I don't like this feeling. I gotta get out of here. <laughs> yeah. And unfortunately, Bill Wegman passed away, longtime personality on at WGEM AM and FM. And on TV that matter. I get a phone call saying, Why don't you submit a tape and a resume 
we'll take a look and see what you can do for us. So I did. Accepted the job in mid-April of 1987, no, 1989, and started May 1st of that year. I was at GEM for 25 and a half years. I was hired only to do afternoon AM radio. <laughs> Boy, they got they got their money's worth, huh? <laughs> yeah, I, it, you know, and it was it was great experience for me. I I wouldn't trade any of those for anything. People ask me, you know, if you look back at your career, what would you have done differently? Well, I would have said no to the boss a few more times, but you know, <laughs> I mean, sure. there was a period. I, I was working 18, 19 hours a day when we got that CD format because all of that data had to be entered into the IBM PS30 to create the playlists. Mm. That's wild. It was wild. It's a lot of work. It, it was crazy. <laughs> wild might not be the operative word there, but it's the one we're going to use. Yeah. So, yeah, it's been an exciting career. And I guess, you know... I, I, I got a couple of questions for you, but I want to go back to the 99Q thing just for a second. And... I want to get your feelings and your thoughts. I mean, for Travis and I, nothing's compared. And, you know, I've worked at radio stations. You've worked radio stations. Uh, you know, we've we've heard many radio stations in the Quincy area. It always seems like there is a nostalgia and a, a feeling of how amazing 99Q was. Can you sum it up for us? What makes people of our generation, and even when you were involved, make it feel like it was the station that you can't beat. There was good music. There were good people playing the music. There were there were personalities. Today, can anybody talk up to? Well, I'll use some lingo here. Can anybody talk up to the boost? <laughs> Announcers now, they stop the music. They play music while they're talking, telling you about relevant stuff, and then they go into a commercial break. You're shooting yourself in the foot. That's not how you run format. That's a good point. It's, it's it, yeah. I think you're right. Exactly. If you want to put it in, sum it up to one thing, and I, that's the thing. I mean, again, we talk about the history of what we remember as kids. Heck, I was telling Travis a couple episodes ago that I remember that I was a huge fan of Mellow Yellow Mondays that they used to have on, on 99Q. <laughs> How the heck do I remember that? That was 30 years ago. How do I remember those specifics? It's just so, it's such a powerful, uh, such a powerful thing. And especially with, like you said, the, the personalities that were there and, and you just, you felt like you were a part of it, you know, I, in my opinion, as an outsider. Thank you. Yeah. I want to just get your, your two senses I don't want to turn this into a back in my day situation, but with with syndication and everything else that's really taken the soul, in my opinion, I don't want to speak for everyone here, out of local radio, is there a point where it's got a break? And I mean, with so much centralization on, you know, you'll get one channel syndicating around the country, yeah. that local scene, it seems to be such a void now. Do you ever see foresee a place where that's going to come back to radio or it manifests itself somehow, some other way? To have that that's that's a real good question. I think, you know, the old adage is if you, you invest money to make money. And I think a lot of the owners, even like Clear Channel or even the it's whoever these these new right. groups are. Yeah. I don't, I, there's so many I've lost track. Sure. <laughs> if they understood that if you take away the syndicated programming and put real people there, 
that maybe you'd get a little more commercial revenue, advertising revenue stream coming in, but they don't see it that way. They see bringing more people in as a, as a needed business expense. Right. That's yeah. a shame in my opinion, but ways of the world. Yeah, they're looking at it the wrong way. They're looking at it as how can we save money instead of how can we make money? Precisely. You know, when you buy and sell radio stations, you don't, it's not what they're worth. It's what's the billing. No, and and the the license itself has value, but they don't they don't look at that. They look at the billing. So, Rich, I regret not asking this, but there's one other piece going into your radio career. I'm going to guess this is going to be your answer, but I'm not going to say it. I'll let you say it because I think I know what it is. Biggest and most credible radio memory of your life. What would that be? You would have to ask that, wouldn't you? <laughs> I, I would say sponsoring the Hannibal concerts through Jam Productions and Jay Goldberg and Mad Dog Manus. Every time I would show up and do a broadcast backstage, that was the most rewarding. All of REO Speedwagon sitting in lawn chairs, and we're just talking about the days you have I. Right. <laughs> right. Um, Great White. There's a, there's a story about Great White and Liz Lukowski that I'm not going to get into. <laughs> uh-oh, uh-oh. <laughs> but there's a song dedicated about her that was done by oh, Great wow. White. <laughs> now, I'll let you uh, roll through that. Um, <laughs> then there was the Richard Marks concert. I mean, 87, 88 were probably the two of the best summers of my entire life. That didn't marry my wife, but, you know. Of course, of course. <laughs> of it goes course. without saying. Yeah. yeah. It was great. It was it was a great ticket to a, a wonderful experience that I'll never get. If you could pick one song that summarizes your experience on, on 99Q, what would that have to be, Rich? Oh, my. Really put you on the spot here, huh? <laughs> the you one have- song? It, well, you know, you have if you follow Rich on on Facebook, you know, he always says Richie's song of the night or song of the yeah. day, perhaps. I don't yeah. know. I haven't seen it today, but uh, something along those veins. What, what comes to mind? Maybe top. Okay, three. okay. I'm gonna this goes back to some incident that um, was probably one of the biggest decisions that I had to to, to make as as a program director. Do you remember when Buddy Hills Cop Two soundtrack came out? Sure, sure. Or yeah, Michael's yeah, yeah. song. Right. I want your sex. <laughs> you know where I'm going with this. Good stuff. Good stuff. I think the phone rang more than it did since the format switch. <laughs> I can only imagine how that was received. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, there, and there were some parents that insisted on talking to the program director and yeah, I had to edit that out of daytime play. Oh, oh boy! Oh boy! Oh boy! Nobody would bat an eye wow. these days, though. No. <laughs> and then, okay, after the George Michael incident, then this guy by the name of Tone Loke <laughs> comes out with his series of songs, and then there was Sack Hennison, Wild Thing. Oh my! When I when I kiss you, I taste what. Others had for lunch. Why I love you, wild thing. <laughs> it was a interesting time. Lots of new phrases and uh, <laughs> words were oh, being introduced yeah. to the shock generations. I think of parents. Yeah, 
Rich, this has been an exciting time talking with you. Uh, we definitely loved having you on. I'm sure we're going to have you on again because there's so much more we got to talk about. We got Flood of 93 stuff. Absolutely, we'll have to get down on the road sometime and talk to you about. All right. But uh, we really appreciate you coming in and talking with us. Anytime, guys. Yeah, thanks so much, Rich. You're welcome. As uh, Rich Kane, and uh, this is Wild Quincy. We'll be back with more after this. found the perfect Christmas gift for my family. Radio Shack sale price cordless phone. It's so convenient, everyone will love it. Janie can talk in privacy in her favorite place. Mark's friends can keep up with him on the go. And it'll be perfect for Bob's outdoor activities. As for me, I found a great gift we all can use at a great sale price, just $59.95. The ET394 cordless phone on sale for Christmas. Save $20. Only at Radio Shack, America's technology store. Nobody compares for Christmas shopping. Travis, do you remember having a cord, your first cordless phone? I do. I remember it super well. Actually, it was a, a white and gray two tone, and it wasn't the. It was the one that sat down regular in the cradle and didn't stand like the more modern ones. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Well, that Radio Shack ad going back in the day. It was Christmas time. It was, I believe, it was like eight nine uh, late eighties that it was uh, that it came out. I don't remember the specifics of when it was. I just found it randomly on a beach. Refresh my memory game. real quick. I, I got to get this out there now. Did you have? Was there a channel button? on the the receiver for the wireless that you had to click a couple times if the signal if it didn't sound good the call you you know, am I, I making that up? I remember something like that. There was, yes, yes, you're right. It was, it had different frequencies. Right. And you could change the frequencies to get the best channel for, to the to the base. Yeah, I forgot completely about so that. Random. So random. Do you random. realize there's probably kids that are listening to us? I shouldn't say kids. There's adults that are probably listening to us that never have used a cordless phone. Or maybe, a is it possible they never used a, a landline in their life? Oh, you think? It could be. Phone Do you booth. have a landline in your house? Uh, no. No, I haven't had we one in either. the last 15 years. Yeah, right. Exactly. Boy, you're wow. right. That could very well be a possibility. We just we just mind blew some of our you know 20 to 25 yeah, audience. Get, get a clean hex and, and wipe that up, guys. Um <laughs> What about rotary? Did you do the rotary growing up, Chris? We didn't have a rotary phone, but my, my grandma, grandpa had it. Yeah, gra- yeah, grandpa there you had go. one. There you go. Yep. Yep. Oh, so C- CB, CB base station. Surely you dads did CB. We didn't on the have farm. one in the house. We actually never used them on the farm. Oh, we talked okay. about it. We kept my brother and I kept saying, "Man, it would be really nice to have a couple CBs in the different tractors." But we never ended up putting them in the tractors. And then we got cell phones, and then we're like, Psh, yeah. "I don't really need that anymore." Oh. I used to have CB when I storm chased in my car back in the day. There you that go, was breaker breaker. What's your twenty? <laughs> yeah. And now with my my regular world, I have a CB that's right next to my head every day. So <laughs> yeah, you just giving keeps never stops at that point. That's yeah. right. So, but the radio. Shack, as we mentioned, it, it, most of you guys remember Radio Shack was in the Quincy Mall, and then there was, of course, another store that was in Hannibal as well. Uh, this I came across an article, Travis. I never came across the exact date of when the Radio Shack in Quincy specifically closed. However, I'd come across a article that was written back in 2015 that said that uh, the uh, this is Harold Wig, and it said that there. Radio Shack was filing for Chapter 11 bankruptcy, and that Quincy and Hannibal were among the 1,784 stores appearing on the potential store closure list. And I don't know if that completely connects with when the store officially closed or not, but uh, they did file for that Chapter 11 back in 2015. 
18. And Travis, just to let you know too, uh, total uh, stores, they had a, a ton of them. But uh, the Radio Shack actually goes all the way back to 1921. Wow. I didn't even... I guess, yeah, I guess there was radios in 1921, so they must, they, I wonder if they got their name specifically because it I, was, you know, because I, of radios. I could, I could be wrong, but I think their bread and butter starting out was like components where you could go in and get the actual components that you would solder oh, yeah. and stuff to literally build a radio d- device with like a motherboard and all that, that stuff that I don't do well because it's tools involved and not duct tape. Um, but yeah, I, I I think that's where it started. But go, what, what do you got in front of you there? It says here that uh, that they originally was working mostly on ham radios, and okay. that they were doing mail order operations in Boston, and then they eventually moved over to the the brick and mortar stores. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it seems like originally it was all the way back to CVs and um, like ham radios and things like that. Then once those things came along, they started adding you know radios and. Uh, everything from home computers and all that. So, but yeah, that's a look at Radio Shack back in the day. And What's the last thing you bought at a Radio Shack? Do you remember? It had, yes, I do. It had something to do with some sort of electronics component that I needed, and it was something that you wouldn't find like anywhere. Right. Now you could probably find it on Amazon or eBay now. But they had all those drawers of just stuff. Exactly. Yeah, like transistors and uh, right. all that stuff. I mean, this had all that. And I, it was something I needed that was so weird. And it was just one piece I needed to make something work. And so that's where I got it was from Radio Shack, digging in one of totally. those drawers, like you said. So. I think I got an iPod there, like uh, near the very, very end. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Hmm. You still have it? No, it got stolen. Let's let's talk about this for just a second. I know this isn't Patreon, and we typically don't do this, but I'm going to mention <laughs> this real quick. I think it's so weird, and I so I'm a huge MP3 iPod person still. Yeah, I don't use my phone for like podcasts. I go and use an MP3 player, and now I am in the minority. Like, Chris, I think somebody's s- on your yard. Could you holler out your window <laughs> for them to get off, please? Hold on, I met a is done stirring. Yes, go on. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I like to use an MP3 player. No, I and hear you. I am I am totally in the minority now. Like it is impossible to find a good MP3 player at all. Like I had to go th- I I kid you not people. I purchased four MP3 players from Amazon and I returned three of them before I found one I actually liked. I was heartbroken <laughs> when my iPod got stolen. I really was. Uh, yeah, it sucked. Yeah. But now it is easier. You know, you don't have to download episodes. And like, for example, Wild Quincy, I mean, literally, I can go on uh, Pandora. I can go on uh, Spotify. I can go on Google Play. I mean, I can go anywhere and play that. Um, yeah. Even on the Patreon, I can even play it from the Patreon app, too. So there's a lot of options. So, I mean, I think I'm making a lot of it that it doesn't need to happen, but that's okay. <laughs> Back in my day. <laughs> Back in my I day. I liked an MP3 player, by gosh. Now I hear you. There's something about that. You get real used to that situation, especially if you're on the road and you find like a cellular dead zone. That's when having that hard drive in your pocket really makes a difference. Well, and not only that, but I have literally like a thousand songs in my computer. Yeah. yeah. So, and I want, I can't carry those on my phone. My phone's already at 0% memory as it is. So, remember the uh, big anyway. CD booklets of like a 500 CDs? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> one day, one day, real, real quick story. One day, I was driving home from Macomb with the windows down. I went to WIU for a couple of years, 
And I went these crazy back roads and I was doing about 80 and my windows and my sunroof was open and the wind came in, literally ripped out two full pages of CDs <laughs> somewhere in Bushnell. No idea. It's just gone out the window. And to this day, they are still in Bushnell, Some random Illinois. farmer found, the, found several CDs. It was a good, good time. Good time. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, you gotta you gotta love those old school days of doing that stuff. Travis, you ready for the question of the day? I'm feeling good about it. Yeah. Bring all it right, on. All right. I think you I think you I think I may have given you a softball to start out season two, episode one. The question of this uh episode once again is who is the largest employer in Quincy? And your options are Blessing Hospital, Blue Cross, Blue Shield, Napide Manufacturing, or the Quincy Public School District. Travis, do you want to take a guess on which one has as the most employees. I I feel like it's blessing. Is that your final answer? That's my final answer. You are correct. It is okay. Blessing Hospital. Good. Yes, by go. quite a lot, actually. According to a 2018 Quincy Herald Wake article, and it was actually confirmed through the Great River Economic Development Foundation's website as well, Blessing is by far the largest employer in the city of Quincy. As of 2018, they were at 3,088, followed up by Napide with 1,350, the Quincy Public School District with 1,200, and Blue Cross Blue Shield just a little bit over 900. So, yes, Blessing Hospital, by far the largest largest employer in the city of Quincy. Now, Travis, we usually have a reason that we're going to talk about uh, this question of the day. And did you catch any connections there, maybe? I sure did. But you, 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 you let the cat out of the bag, Chris. <laughs> we are diving into a big true crime story. And hopefully we can get it in our 40-minute segment in our next episode. We have because had so many requests for this episode. It's going to be big. Uh, a lot of requests, a lot of background. We got to tell you about it all. If you haven't heard about it, you probably have in some way, but maybe not know the details. We're going to give those to you. We're going to be talking about Michael Swango in our next episode of Wild Quincy, diving into the true crime background we'll be doing that coming up in two weeks travis are we missing anything no chris i'll bring the brownies <laughs> all right well i'm not eating them for travis hoffman i'm chris ketters and you've been listening to wild quincy we'll catch you next time take care everybody wild quincy is released every other tuesday and is produced by chris ketters and travis hoffman Sound design by Downdraft Sound and Editing and music by Travis Hoffman Music. I'm Bo Beecraft, and thanks for listening to Wild Quincy. Wild Quincy.